Welcome to Drinks at the Doll, episode 27, Sleeping Beauty School. You're listening to Drinks at the Doll, a podcast way station for Lost Girl fans. I'm your host, Stephanie. And I'm Annie. And I'm Chris. And this week we are talking about episode two of season four of Lost Girl, which was called Sleeping Beauty School. And first of all, a little follow up to last week's episode about the premiere in Memoriam. We got a voicemail sent in by our buddy Kevin Batchelder because we had asked him if he was screaming when he realized that Kenzie had 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 Faye Powers in the premiere. So here is the voicemail that he sent in. Hello, ladies. It's Kevin Batch, Elder Calling. I just wanted to thank you for giving me a shout-out on your first episode for Season 4. I really appreciated that. And to answer your question, while um, I did scream, it was probably a bit muted when I saw Kenzie had the powers, only because it was such a Kenzie-centric episode, and Ksenia Solo did such an amazing job with it. That to go along with the fact that, as we saw, the powers do appear to be only temporary in this kind of odd world. So there were some mitigating circumstances, but yeah, at first when I saw that was happening, not exactly excited. But as you all talked about, after seeing all the other great stuff with her in the app, you know, got to look at it on the whole. So I'm glad we're back on the air. Looking forward to your regular podcast. Always appreciate them. A lot of fun listening to you ladies. So thanks for the hard work. Hope you all take care. So thanks, Kevin, for sending in that voicemail. I think we all kind of had a similar reaction to Kinsey having powers and think, ah, and then realize, okay, it's okay. It's okay. We're good. Everything's good. good. (laughs) And I got to say, her little firework tricks tend to be, continue to be pretty amusing to me. So it's okay for now, at least. And for any X-Men nerds out there, it's sort of like Jubilee. So, in regards to this week's episode, our drink special, which Chris came up with again, is, <laughs> it's essentially amaretto with ginger ale, but the recipe was obviously created by DiSorono, which is a brand of amaretto, and so it's called a gingerono, and Chris thought it would be appropriate because everybody's freaking out about Lauren's hair, she's a ginger, oh no. So, and I have to say, I'm drinking one now, and it's pretty tasty. It sounds tasty. It is pretty good. It sounds tasty, but my drinks of the doll co-hosts are getting on me at my case because I never drink on this show. So that has to change. I did like that after Chris suggested, oh, can we, we should do this drink. And I said, sure. She said, okay, follow up question. Is it okay to drink 30 year old amaretto? <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Alcohol never goes bad. <laughs> Well, especially liqueurs. Liqueurs are usually fine. So uh, given that I probably have like a 20-year-old bottle of triple sec that I stole from my parents' house that I use frequently, I think you're probably fine. <laughs> but if, if... We'll see. If if you don't hear from me tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> or if you, hear like, if you hear like a thud while we're recording and then Chris is no more, you'll know what happened. <laughs> and it will be a life lesson for us all. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't drink on the show. (laughs) So let's get into talking about Sleeping Beauty School. Let's start with sort of our initial reactions to the episode. What did you think about it, Chris? I I liked it. It's one of those things I'm, uh, I'm, I'm glad that they're sort of getting more into exposition, but sort of gradually rolling it out. You know what I mean? Like we're finally sort of starting to figure out what's been going on with everybody. And we actually got to see Bo some, which, you know me, I'm I'm glad 
glad to see more of Bo. What did you think, Annie? Um, it was all right. You know, kind of like medium. I think where I'm kind of the opposite reason where the plot didn't move forward as much because we still have just as many questions as to where everybody is. And then we have more. And the gang seems hardly any closer to finding Bo. You know, I know that's, again, a production matter of, um, you know, having Anna Silk on the sidelines for a bit. And But I would have loved to have seen more human, you know, Fey teams teaming up to find Bo and get on the Fey Hogwarts train. That would have been cool. But um, I really love the use of Mia Kirshner. I really, she really grew on me. And, you know, more Kale Henzi, which is great. And not quite a fan of teeny tiny mini Valkyrie, but, you know. We'll see. So, lots of stuff to talk about, but, you know, it was okay. There were pros and cons for me. I gotta say, I didn't really care for it. I thought it was a lot of nonsense that didn't really lead anywhere. So, I was frankly pretty frustrated with most of what was going on in this episode. So, we'll see. There, I mean, I didn't hate it. There are always aspects of episodes of Lost Girl that are enjoyable just because I enjoy the characters and the actors, but not really a fan of this episode. It was a very disappointing follow-up to the premiere, I thought, which which was a whole lot of fun. I, I will say that I didn't like it as much as I liked last week's episode. Yeah, me too. But I, I don't mind a a slow reveal, necessarily. As long as we actually get the reveal, I don't mind a slow build-up to it. Well, I think the reveal needs to be a little faster, but but yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you, Stephanie, where, you know, because this is one of my absolute favorite shows, there's never episodes that I absolutely hate. You can pull what you like out of them, but they're just ones that I call, these are my favorites, these are my less favorites, these are my, these are my least favorites, etc., etc. I think right from the beginning... When Trick had Bo's picture, and I'm like, wait, whose blood is that? Wait, why is Trick back in the doll? Wait, dang, dang, what happened to the resolution of the fight between Trick and Aoife? I was I really know. looking forward to seeing that. And as you mentioned earlier in a um, in an earlier up in the Hail app, this is code for, we could only get this actress for one episode. So they could only get, you know, Inga, Inga, how do you say her last name? Kadranel. Kadranel for 401. You know, she's gorgeous, and I totally want to see more of her. I don't know if she's going to appear more. I really hope so. But but that was a disappointment from the beginning. I'm all, it, it, what? So. Here, here's my big question regarding Trick and Aoife. We know that they both were injured enough to spill blood, and we know that both of them have blood with mystical properties. What does this mean, do we think? Exactly, because if, you know, Trick spilled you know, Aoife's blood, but then Aoife spilled Trick's blood, and he's the Blood King. So you wonder if that blood is, like, powerful on its own without Trick or because they're related. You know, that's just not anybody can draw the blood of a Blood King, you know, in a fight. And I just feel like that's going to come into play later. I don't know. Just drawing blood from a Blood King is a big deal. <laughs> but but here's the thing. If, if Trick has an open wound and we know that Aoife bled on him because Dyson said he could smell Aoife's blood on him... But if Aoife's blood got in Trick's open wound, then theoretically, unless it doesn't work on family members, we don't actually know what all the principles are, but uh, Aoife could be turning Trick into her, her slave. Oh, that's true. We don't know. Yeah. I would, would really like to see if some kind of 
something to come out of the fact that they they both shed each other's blood but maybe there won't be but yeah i think that's a really good point and i had the same reaction as you and it's like oh what a tease we finally get this confrontation between trick and Eva, and then we don't get to see it maybe they shot it and they'll reveal it later in a flashback i don't know that's kind of what i'm thinking i feel well even if they don't reveal it in the in a flashback i i think they will come back to that and what happened I, I, I have hope, so. But I was very disappointed that we didn't get to see it this week. I think Andrus did hint at future uh, flashbacks, so she wasn't talking about this storyline necessarily, but we don't know. It's possible. It's possible. So after we have the lack of reveal of the confrontation between Trick and Aoife, darn it, it switches to Dyson looking for Tamsin at the site of the crash, where they show us the flashback of the crash, as they should, because I'm sure that cost them a lot of money. So they're going to get some mileage out of that clip. <laughs> and it was a good crash. You know, it wasn't bad. So we find little tiny pre, you know, post-resurrection, I guess. I don't know. Reincarnation, whatever you want to call it. Tamsin, who I really did not like how much she was present in this episode. I didn't really feel like she needed to be there as much as she was. Like it, it, it was, it would have been okay to see a couple of scenes with her. And I kind of found, I found her funny at times, but I felt like she was in the episode way more than she needed to be. Yeah, some people liked her, and I was just like, and I, it's like that typical blonde, annoying kid that you always see in television and movies that's just there to annoy people. Dennis the Menace. Yeah, it's like that kind of character. And I was just like, oh, God. And I'm like, so was she there for a month when Dyson was looking for her? Did, did she just spontaneously appear right when Dyson appeared with clothes and all? I mean, it was there were some bits that were funny. Like, you know, when she threw the knife, she's like, peace out, losers. And, you know, Kenzie and Dyson are like, it's Tamsin. But sitting there acting like a little kid, chewing on Cheetos and, you know, saying, oh, do it again, do it again with the iPhone or whatever was just like... Really, kid? I don't know. Yeah, I felt that was a bit of a one-trick pony they relied on too much. That that was my big question was, so has baby Tamsin been in that foliage this whole time? And where did she get those clothes? Because those were not the clothes Tamsin was wearing when the truck went off the cliff. Exactly. It could have been baby Tamsin in like the blue leather jacket or whatever Tam adult Tamsin was wearing in the last episode, which would have made more sense. But instead, she's got a nightie. In the first episode, they keep referring to Dyson going to check on her or something, right? Yeah, they mentioned that he had been looking for her regularly, I'm guessing at that spot. So why did it take him so long to find her, I wonder? Or did she just magically appear, like, right before that? If she was growing that rapidly, maybe she had just appeared then, and maybe he knew that would happen since they were talking about Valkyries and their many lives and whatever. But yeah, then, then there's the close question, unless maybe on one of Dyson's previous visits he'd left them there. <laughs> perfectly sized for a tiny little child of course because i don't it didn't seem like he was expecting necessarily expecting tamsin to have you know reincarnated whatever the word is because he you know he was trying to convince kenzie i think this is tamsin so if he had suspected that before i think he would have mentioned it but so it seems unlikely he would know i need to leave these child-sized clothes right here yeah <laughs> i don't know stephanie work with me here <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, whenever I get too nitpicky, I need to remind myself, this is a show about a succubus. Let it go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we can still have fun with some of the nitpicks. It's true. One of my big disappointments was that Kenzie was basically 
shove literally shoved, shoved aside, aside by Dyson to go and try to find Bo and basically commanded to stay and babysit Tamsin. I was very very frustrated by that that Dyson used like his physical size to prevent Kenzie from leaving the clubhouse. That was very not cool. I I don't hate J- Dyson in general, but he has some qualities that I don't particularly care for, and he was very much in sort of that Dyson mode that I don't like, where he's just like, I can't sit still, I have to be the one doing everything, go, 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 go. And I really didn't like the way that he treated Kenzie in this episode. Yeah, and not just Kenzie. Yes, not just Kenzie. Hale, too. I mean, a lot of people. The whole shoving Kenzie aside, and Kenzie is the one who you can tell is really, I mean, they're all pining for Bo, but it's so sweet to see Kenzie setting up the room and everything, and she's talking to Bo as if she's there. And I love that bit when she's making jokes, but then she, you know, says, D, please tell me you have a lead. And just that little bit of Ksenia's acting where, you know, she's, you can tell how desperate she is. And yet she's begging with Dyson, come on, let's go, let's Let's go and get her. And he's like, nope, you got to stay here. And I'm like, we've seen Kenzie relegated to the backstory babysitting in, you know, 208 with um, Glaive's daughter and, you know, with the B story. And it just didn't work as well. wasn't as funny. And especially when you have, you know, the succubus that the show centers around and it's such an important plot point to get her back to see Kenzie just kind of going, oh, I'm going to sit here and play with my sparklies to entertain this kind of bratty kid it's kind of it was really frustrating because Ksenia Solo I think consistently just nails whatever they give her to do I did really like when she was talking to little Tamsin about love and I think she was talking about Nate and I really liked that bit we had several kind of talks about love in this episode that I I guess Dyson and Kenzie being the most significant ones and I really liked what Kenzie said. It felt very, very genuine and very, very Kenzie. Anything you want to say about Kenzie, Chris? No, I mean, I, I agree with you guys. I'm I'm sad that she physically got restrained into babysitting. I'm, you know, Kenzie babysitting is cute and all, but, you know, after, after being the driving force of the first episode, it's sort of a, a let down a little bit, I guess. Definitely. Well, it's not her strongest suit, you know. Kenzie's not made just to babysit. But that's why they do it. They do it for the comedy. Yeah, that's true. And it was it was funny. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but did you notice that Kenzie's kleptomaniac powers are really not powers, but uh, her <laughs> thievery skills are really amping up this season. You know, she's stealing to survive, and then she's stealing Trick's uh, sphere at the end, which could be a key in finding Bo. But she's doing it to pay Massimo, and she's still calling him, which I think I'm like, oh, don't go down that road, Kenzie, because you're going to get in trouble. And that's the thing I don't get is Trick said he needed it in the context of finding Bo. Kenzie is desperate to find Bo, but she still steals the thing to sell it? That doesn't... Or was she just not listening in that scene? I I, I, I guess maybe the latter, because, yeah, that really did not scan for me. Even though Kenzie is clearly desperate to blend in and appear fae, I don't see her sacrificing this thing that would help her find Bo. She clearly wants to find Bo. True. But I'm wondering why she is so desperate to remain Faye. Is it because she really does want the powers, or is it because it's the only thing protecting her from the Unamens? 
I think at this point it's because it's the only thing protecting her. Yeah. That's what it seems to be. That's what it seems to be. I, I think that's part of, I mean, aside from Bo being Bo and just desperately wanting Bo back, Bo has always kept her safe, too. So it's one of those things, I guess if she can't have Bo, she'll have to have her own powers for now. Or appear to. But this is kind of an interesting, her her stealing from Trick is maybe a potentially interesting storyline because she and Trick had really become close and now she's just stealing from him with no remorse. And how is that going to potentially affect their relationship? Well, considering how anti-human Trick seemed to be throughout, especially the latter half of season three and, you know... Stella saying no humans invited to the dawning, and even though in that same episode Trick said that he would claim Kenzie if anything happened to Bo, but maybe Kenzie has picked up on that as she picked up on it all season, that she's not as useful as a human, or not as useful a human as Lauren is, so maybe she's that's fracturing her relationship with Trick, and potentially with her other fae friends, um that she doesn't care as much about certain things or certain laws. So she'll go ahead and steal stuff without remorse. So we've touched on it already, but it seemed like Dyson had kind of the A plot going on. If you can call it an A plot, it was really all over the place in regards to the beauty school and then Eddie. And I just found this stuff at the beauty school to be really irritating and kind of a dud. There was just all this obfuscation and misdirection to hide the fact that Cleo was really the one that Dyson needed. But there was just way too much stuff that didn't end up mattering in the end for me. And that's really what I found frustrating about the episode is most of it, it's like, eh, that could have not been there at all. And we still could have gotten to point B. Yeah, once I whittled it down, I was like, oh, yeah. And then I thought the... um title of the episode itself is kind of a misnomer because it's not about the Sleeping Beauty School. It's about, you know, other stuff. It's about the death train from Hogwarts. It's about, you know, the mini Tam Tam or whatever. So, um, I don't know. So, yeah, it's kind of like even the title. I'm like, eh, not the best title. And and so far, it's kind of a mini, mini spoiler. I am disappointed at the lack of or the play of the word fey in the titles so far in the fourth season from what I have seen. And I'm like, where's the cool titles? In regards to the whole Sleeping Beauty School title, I think maybe one of my biggest disappointments was when Dyson found, you know, Eddie sleeping. Endymion. Endymion, Eddie, when he found him sleeping. And I was really hoping that because Lost Girl being Lost Girl and not being afraid to play with gender stereotypes would... They would somehow, the plot would end up that Dyson needed to kiss Eddie in order to wake him up as sort of a play on the traditional Sleeping Beauty where, you know, a, a man has to kiss a Especially woman to wake Dyson her up. Especially Dyson being a man, man, an alpha male wolf. Yeah, that would have been cool. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Instead, we just see him, you know, physically intimidate a woman who gets turned on by it. And that was just disturbing. And then he wakes up this, you know, outdated misogynist jerk who goes around calling people harlots and trollops and then gets hit by a train thank goodness you know <laughs> i thought he was a little was funny like, is he is he gonna die oh good he's gonna die <laughs> <laughs> i think for the record emily uh laughed at that part too <laughs> so i think she said in an interview so 
So at least, you know, the, the, the sexist guy gets hit by a train. He just, they do not condone his behavior. But still, he was very irritating. <laughs> he dressed well. <laughs> I, I thought. Nice plaid umbrella. Yeah, you know, and I liked, uh, it was so cute when Mia Kirshner had the umbrella. She goes, I'm Eddie, plants the umbrella. I just like that shot. And I'm like, she looks good with an umbrella. Although Mia Kirshner's top, I kept getting distracted by because it, it was so weird. Just random costuming aside, because it looked like a combination of a button-down and a poofy Renaissance shirt, and I kept getting so distracted by it, I don't know why. But I'm like, mm. Yeah, the combination of that shirt plus the cigarette behind the ear really reminded me of, like, a Catherine Hepburn type of look. Yeah. From back That's in the day. That's what like, it is. Yep. Like, His Girl Friday or something like that. So I think they were going okay. for a particular look, especially since she since she steals Hale's pork pie hat yeah. at some point and, and puts it on her head. So I think they were going for kind of a retro look with her. As they often do for fake characters. True, true. I've now exhausted all fashion knowledge that I might have, so we need to move on. <laughs> I don't have any, except for geek t-shirts. But yeah, speaking of the cigarette, it was really weird, because I noticed at the end, when Cleo's talking to Vex, she's almost using it like a Bluetooth. I'm all, is that like some kind of Fae device? <laughs> I kind of like that. I was like, is that her, like, Bluetooth? It's Fae Bluetooth. Kind of awesome. Why don't they make those in the real world? I'm sure someone has, but, you know. I thought that was Maybe funny. Maybe that's what all those new vapor cigarettes are. They're not actually cigarettes. They're Bluetooth devices. Stick a couple more wires in, solder it together, you got a Bluetooth. So like you, Andy, I'm actually kind of enjoying Cleo. I was, I'm always hesitant when I see Mia Kirshner. I'm sorry, Mia Kirshner. It is not your fault. You played the most annoying character I've ever seen on television. In the history of lesbian film ever. Yeah. Exactly. But I'm actually enjoying Cleo. I'm I'm curious to see where her character goes. I like that I felt like she was mysterious at the end of episode one, and I like that she's still kind of mysterious at the end of episode two. Yeah, she's kind of perky and just kind of, but mysterious at the same time. And, uh, you know, again, she's like, you know, you're going to pay me? You know, she, she has a price. So you wonder what that price is. But you see, she's kind of scared shitless at the end when she goes that's death train i'm not going into that and dyson goes oh no 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 you're staying right here so obviously the threat on the train with Bo is very very real though i do kind of wonder how many people might have been rooting for jenny Schechter to get hit by the train <laughs> oh dear <laughs> i admit that thought probably crossed some people's minds not mine but yeah Poor Mia Kirshner. She she is shady in a peppy way, though, which yes, I do like. But I, yeah, I like that combination. Sort of, sort of refreshing. Yeah. But I guess kind of the conclusion of the Dyson storyline that he had was, you know, he and Mia Kirshner, or sorry, he and Cleo get on the train, and then a couple scenes later, we see Bo promptly jump off. So I like that Lost Girl is continuing in this tradition of when Dyson gets all, I'm the man, I'm going to save everybody, and you stand aside, and you stand aside. Th things usually don't go very well. Like, it's just, it becomes very obvious that all of that was just superfluous. Bo can take care of herself. Exactly. And right, he really just kind of ends up getting himself in more trouble. I know. Half the time. And it's so funny because they're going to go on the train. Where's Bo? Oh, she not here. I guess I'll chase my tail. Ugh, lame. I like that, and he literally has a tail he could chase. Exactly, so. that's why I'm just like, oh man. And that might be adorable, to have an entire <laughs> episode of Dyson chasing his own tail. What if he, like, kind of half wolfs out and his tail sticks out and he starts chasing it? It's but like, I ooh, just, ooh, ooh. yeah. 
<laughs> and now I'm picturing Chris Holden Reed doing that. I know, and I know. Just... It could be really funny. <laughs> oh. So it was, like like you, Chris, I was really excited to see Bo, and she actually talked and moved around in this episode. I totally <laughs> applauded when she came on. <laughs> but I was, I, I mean, I get it. Anna Silk was later coming to the shooting schedule because she'd had a baby. But I really felt like for this episode, it really needed a stronger Bo plot. Maybe she wasn't the A plot, but at least a strong B plot instead of her being like, you know, D or E plot in this episode. Because we only really got like, like three scenes with her, maybe four. And they're all very, very brief and not a lot happens. It's like, oh, she's in a car. Oh, a woman comes into a car. Oh, she's sucking chi off the woman. Oh, she jumps out. You know, it's it was just so minuscule. And I and I really felt like this episode needed to have a stronger bow plot. And I agree with you. But at the same time, I'm so I was so desperate for Bo <laughs> that it's like, I'll take it. I'll take whatever you give me show. Well, it's like me and Lauren, you know, but even with the hair. But the only, yeah, it was like the only useful thing we learned with Bo was that she doesn't have her memories. And we're like, I was like, oh shit. She, she's like, Kenzie, who's Kenzie? And I was like, oh crap, her memories are screwed up. So that throws everything into a pickle with Bo. And again, who's this him who's controlling the train? You know, oh, by the way, the train set was lovely. I thought that was awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Though it's very, it was very strange to me seeing Bo in the white. Dress. I like the white dress. She just, she just doesn't look like Bo to me, though. I, I, I don't know. It. She just seems out of place, which is perhaps appropriate and maybe intentional. It is actually vaguely reminiscent of the dawning. Mm-hmm. Remember in the dawning, she was in that sort of silky white robe, flowy thing too. Well, yeah. it gives it this otherworldly appearance. Yeah, it's not the Bo we know, and she's still not on this plane of existence as everybody else. Exactly. So even though she's jumped off the train, she's supposed, you know, probably still in a different plane. So she hasn't gotten back to where she needs to go yet. But I think this episode seems to indicate that Bo was not in the box with the goo. That's right. So now we still have that loose end from the first episode. What's in the gooey box? Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about in this episode, there are many, but uh, the Una Men's. We finally get to see them. And they're pretty darn creepy. They are scary. And it's scarier that to me that they've tricked mentions, oh, just offhandly, oh, they've uh, taken over the light fake compound. I'm all, that's kind of a major deal, isn't it? And they're just torturing people. And I was like, oh no, poor Vex. It's like last week when Hale was busting down, you know, on Vex. I'm like, don't kill Vex. I mean, it's amazing how much we love the villain as an audience. But I was kind of shocked at the violence and the torture thingy they had poor Paul Amos in, which, you know, they said, that's a real torture device. I forget what it's called. He is he is not getting a break with the costuming yet. I know, I know. <laughs> well, also in that interview with Emily Andrus, she was, the the interviewer asked her if it, something about, you know, do you have trouble getting Paul Amos to, to be in those skimpy little outfits? And, and Emily's kind of like, oh, please, it's more like, hey, Paul, can you please go put some pants on? <laughs> <laughs> Which, having met the man, I believe it. I can believe that. <laughs> I can believe that. <laughs> but I thought, uh, I didn't realize until later that was uh, Christina Horn playing what is billed as the Una Men's Dungeon Master uh, from Sex After Kids and um, the untitled work of Paul Shepard. 
So that was neat to see her in there. And apparently, I don't know if it sounds like her tweets that there will be more of her. So, but there's so many questions in that one scene with the Una Men's. It's like, are they, you know, did, okay, so the Morgan escaped. Did she just leave Vex going, no, the Una Men's are coming, you know, screw Vex. He's the one who imprisoned me. I'll just leave him to them. Or is she also escaping the Una Men's? And those masks are creepy. And here's me freaking out as I see the mask going, oh shit. There's one for Kenzie, and there's one for Bo, and there's one for Lauren. But you notice there's not one for Ve- for there's one for Vex, but there's not one for Hale or Dyson or Trick. It's like they're going after the humans, the two humans on the succubus. And you notice there were two that were labeled that we don't know who they're for. Well, it's weird because one was labeled the human terrorist, and one was labeled the claimed human, but Kenzie's been referred to as both, whereas it's very clear that Lauren is the human doctor. Right. No, there was another one, though, and I don't remember what it said, but I think there was another one that... There's one that says unaligned succubus, and one that says the current mesmer, or something. Yes, and I thought there was another one. Okay, yeah, if there's another one, I, I, I was looking at the freeze frames, and I'm like, yeah, I'm wondering if there's more, so... Unless I'm misremembering, yeah. which is entirely possible. <laughs> That's a good point about the claimed human. I didn't see that. So we'll have to see if that pans out, if there's another human out there that the Unimens are interested right, it was in. Claimed human and then um, human terrorist. And human terrorist was clearly Kenzie's face, or supposed to be. Uh, to me, anyway. That's what it looked like. Ah, but, but who's the claimed human? Because I almost said, well, maybe the human terrorist is Taft, but Dyson killed Taft, and I'm sure he told people he killed Taft. So I don't think that Unamens would be under the impression that Taft was still alive. But the human terrorist, it, yeah, again, if you look at the mask, it looks like Kenzie's. It looks like yeah. Kenzie, yeah. But this is me watching it going, don't you dare go after Lauren. <sighs> me freaking out. Kenzie, you can kill all you want, but not Lauren. <laughs> and like, don't, don't, and don't go Annie after Bo, you can't tweets. go after Docubus. <laughs> So I, I think I tweeted uh, Christina Horn, and I said, Oh, you were great. You were really creepy. But my intrigue is going to turn to hate if you go after Docubus. I saw later she favorited it, and I went, Oh, great. She just thinks I'm nuts. So. <laughs> we all do, Annie. It's thank okay. You, thank you. <laughs> it's a mutual thing. Thank you. I'm so proud. <laughs> so I, I know I'm being really negative in this episode review. I'm sorry, y'all. But- hey, we've all got our opinions. It's all good. One of the things that's is, is something that's really of interest to me is representation of subordinate groups. And so we have Christina Horn's character, the Unamens, who is this very androgynous kind of genderqueer character. And it it bothers me that this, this, this is really the first time I think we've seen this type of character on Lost Girl. And she seems to be very, very evil. So that was kind of mm. a little disappointment for me. I, I wish that maybe that had not been the, the first, t- first time we saw this type of character on Lost Girl. Yeah, because, again, I didn't know it was Christina Horn until I saw afterwards, because I didn't recognize her. So, yeah, good point about the androgyny. And, uh, although I'd love to know, too, what in the hell's with the uh, nasty earwig that they shoved down poor Vex's throat. The Unamens are pretty icky. Yeah, because that... Are we supposed to assume that that is sucking his powers? Because they were talking about how he has too much power as the last Mesmer... Because later when we see him trying to get into his car, he's having to physically, you know, 
reach into his car and I don't know as a mesmer should he be able I guess he can, yes he, he only controls humans he's not telekinetic well, yeah that's what I thought he only he's got that thing on his hand you yeah know? and I was like so. what's that thing on his hand it looks like some zombified growth so is he gonna turn into something else and did anybody else think of the thing from Confagion when they pulled the thing off out from behind her ear I did I'm all I think that's an even nastier parasite <laughs> but I mean that's how they pulled the that's how Lauren pulled the thing off from Vex that's wasn't true it? Or, um, that's yeah, true it was I think it was maybe a callback because maybe that guy was the guy who gestated the parasite the way that Vex did last time and now he's actually getting dosed so it might have been an intentional callback to that that you know he was spared last time but this time he's actually getting whatever it was they were growing what does Kenzie say? Pustule. Grosses. Ew, with a double-sided hurl. It pretty much was. <laughs> well, just the word pustule is, is yeah, pretty ew, disgusting in ew, and of itself. Ew. Even if not confronted with an actual pustule, that word could make you squirm. <laughs> as Annie is doing. As Stephanie <laughs> just keeps saying it. Stop. <laughs> pustule. Stop. <laughs> My ears are burning. <sighs> okay, calm. So, moving on to Annie's favorite topic, we also had the little storyline with Lauren this this episode, and I that was probably my favorite part of the episode was the Lauren storyline, and it might partially just be because we didn't get to see her at all last week, so I was glad that we got to see her more this week, but, and I thought it was a good little bit of writing that allowed us to sort of see where Lauren is at mentally as well as sort of in a physical space because she still seems to be for what we see of the of the unamens she's still very important to the fey world they're not going to just forget about her she's still quietly in the background saving people's lives and protecting the fey world you know so lauren is still very much lauren her experiences with taff don't seem to really have changed her much as sort of who she is deep down i i have to jump in here real quick and announce to the audience that you two have not watched Bomb Girls and as such have no pre-existing feelings about Ali Liebert, I'm guessing, right? No. I I am waiting for you to fill us in on the Bomb Girls Ali Liebert part as a fan. I mean, I've been trying to get you two to watch it because I've watched it and I love it and therefore have warm fuzzy feelings about Ali Liebert in general. But I just, I wanted to make that clear before Annie starts docubusing, probably complaining about no, no, Crystal no. being too close to Lauren. Well, yeah, that too. <laughs> or no, Amber. Here, here's my question is, as a Bomb Girl fan, did were you having like a fandom collision explosion going, oh my god, this is awesome? A little bit. Not as much as some people I saw on the internet, uh, as always. But but yeah, I mean, it's it's like, eee! <laughs> look at Look at Betty McRae and Lauren. It's weird. <laughs> You're cute, Crystal, but paws off. So I know all the bomb girls girls are having fans are having, you know, fandom explosions, but I'm like, uh uh-uh. uh. Only Bo gets to flirt with the doctor. So Well personally, I like Crystal. I like that we're seeing Lauren having maybe potentially having another confidant who's not her girlfriend slash ex girlfriend, whatever Bo is to her at this point. Which is what you've always wanted, so- right? Yes, me personally. Yeah. I don't know about Annie. But no, I, I met you. Okay, so I I am not minding the relationship developing between Crystal and Lauren. Well, this is me just because I, I'm getting paranoid because it's Lauren. I'm like, what if Crystal's Faye? Even if she filmed the whole, you know, impromptu tracheotomy Faye surgery and, 
you know, it's callback to 101. But uh, I'm like, what if she's Faye? What if she reveals the stuff later? What if she's going to bring Lauren in? But that's just me being paranoid. I know she's probably not. It is one of those things. I- I've seen a lot of people online sort of wondering when the other shoe's going to drop on Crystal, because, of course, it's a fantasy TV show. And, you know, everybody's a, a person of interest in terms of suspicion. You know, everybody's everybody's suspect is what I'm trying to say. And um, so part of me is sort of vaguely concerned about that. But for the time being, I, I do like Crystal a lot. And in the interview with Emily Andrus that you didn't read, Stephanie. Um, I read it. <laughs> I'm giving Stephanie a hard time. It's what I do. I didn't sleep at all last night, literally. Leave me alone. I was napping. I know. Poor, poor Stephanie. Poor tired, overworked Stephanie. Anyway, but Emily Andrus was talking about how she really liked that that hug between Crystal and Lauren, because, you know, it's such a, a small human kindness and how much Lauren needs that and really hasn't had it for so long. And and I'm like, wow, it's like, it's like talking to Stephanie. Stephanie's been asking for that <laughs> since I've known her. <laughs> Which granted and, is and only since like May, but <laughs> I know. For several months now, she's been saying this. It's forever. <laughs> several months counts as forever. The show's only been on for like three years. Anyway. I just wanted to make clear that I have not spent the last like three years of my life ranting about the one thing. So <laughs> That is true. Okay. I see your point. So my docubuster of the week is that when Lauren calls Dyson, and I'm wondering why she doesn't call Kenzie. Maybe she tried to call Kenzie. Because I thought that was a sweet. She did. We saw it at the beginning of the oh, episode, okay, didn't we? I wasn't sure whose. I thought that was Dyson's. Yeah, I wasn't phone. sure whose phone that was. Oh, was it? Yeah, because I was going. Is that Dyson's phone? Well, because it was in a black leather jacket, so that narrows yeah, it down. Exactly. Right? It could be. I don't know whose leather jacket that could be. There's so many leather jackets on Lost Girl. You know, this is the Dyson asshole moment, where he goes. I mean, it's it's the same thing where, as last week, my emotions kind of went. Yay! And then I did a face palm where Dyson's, he says, you know, I know that Lauren loves, or Bo loves Lauren, but I love Bo and I'm still going to keep trying for her. So I'm like, yay! And then I'm all, oh god, face palm. That's not what he said, though. Not really. The the tone of what he said was that he was going to help her because he loves her, even if she loves somebody else. Was how I interpreted that. No, he said Bo is in love with Lauren, but I still fight for her because I know how I feel. Right, that's what I mean. The way I'm reading that is that because he still loves her, it doesn't matter if she loves somebody else, but because he loves her, he's still going to try to help her. Well, here's my whole thing with, you know, obviously it it keeps the triangle going. I mean, you have to have endless conflict in a TV show, but it it was frustrating to me in this episode to see Dyson just say to Lauren oh, you're brilliant and everything, but you're on your own. And I'm like, you're such an asshole. I mean, I know why he says that. I know he's saying that because it's it's not safe for Lauren to go back when the Unamens are looking for her. I know it's a plot point so that uh, Lauren stays with Cheryl and that their friendship develops, but he's still an asshole for saying that. That was just, you know, did not gain him points in my book. Crystal, not Cheryl. Or, yeah. Crystal, sorry. I'm She's trying to psych Crystal out. It's I'm mentally blocking it out now. <laughs> so yeah, I guess the last little subplot that we haven't talked about yet is Hale and Kenzie, which 
I kind of enjoyed like it was a, it was kind of silly, but I enjoyed seeing Hale all nervous to talk to Kenzie, though I'm, I'm a little confused why he's like, I need to tell Kenzie. I'm like, didn't he do that? And those who wander, is it is it that he needs to tell her and he's like ask her direct? I was confused what exactly he needed to tell her since, you know, maybe maybe he's just really, really trying point. to make the point. I don't know. But I did like that pep talk that uh, Dyson gave Hale because, you know, he doesn't always have his girl. But Hale's got, Ken- you know, Kenzie right in front of him. So he's like, I love the, the groom is coming. Your parents don't approve. Your pants are too tight. Just tell her. <laughs> it felt a little false, though, coming from Dyson. I didn't quite buy that big emotional scene <laughs> from Dyson, especially when he's being all Hulk smash Dyson for the rest of the episode. It It felt a little out of place. Well, I, I did like his speech about how Bo loves. I mean, it came off very dr- drama, but I think the words ring true is that's how Bo loves people. Um, but going back to Hale and Kenzie, I, um, you know, I hope they continue to hash things out without the influence of this magic perfume that Hale had on him. But it seems like that they're going to keep that, that shipper going. I think my favorite part of that whole little scene with with Hale and Kenzie, besides his outfit, because I thought he looked quite dashing in the white jacket. Fantastic in purple. I like yes. him in purple. But I, I love when Kenzie's like, I love you in purple. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. Know why? <laughs> but that just cracked me up. <laughs> I like that too. That was good. And then her 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 stilettos wrapped around his back. That must have been fun to shoot. How about you, Chris? What did you think of the Hale Kenzie? little subplot. I was just going to to go back to the the point you made that didn't he do that in those who wander you know confess his feelings and all that. I I guess the only thing I'm coming up with is we don't know what happened between 313 and 401, so maybe he backtracked a little bit at some point. I wouldn't I wouldn't put it past him to like backtrack some to not necessarily completely take it back but to be like, "Oh, well you know, I was concerned for your safety and I, I just wanted you to know that you meant a lot to me or, you know, I don't know. I'm just... Well, I, I think it was done so quickly in 313 and then, you know, they're both kind of rushed off in different directions that maybe he wanted, now that he's more had more time to think about it and he admits the feelings to himself and he's trying to say it out loud that he's trying to present his case again to let Kenzie know that he's serious. Especially when Kenzie's only thinking about Bo. It's entirely possible that they just haven't talked about it yeah. in the meantime. Yeah. And so maybe that is why he feels like he has to reconfess, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it just was a little strange to me because, like, I think Kenzie, he told Kenzie. So I guess it would it'd be more, you need to follow up on that, you know? <laughs> you need to right. not just lay this in front of her and then kind of pretend like everything is normal. You need to go say, I, I want to be with you. Yeah, let's follow through. Yeah, I, I am a little disappointed that that scene happened with the perfume situation going on, though. Yeah, me too. But that's why they but, keep stretching it out all season. That's drama. I suppose. Well, in regards to... I just had one little stray thought that I made me go, hey, when I watched the episode that, that made me happy, was when... Little Tamsin was in Bo's bedroom and she was poking around and stuff. And she's like, hey, what's a condom? I was like, hey, they mentioned condoms. <laughs> that Bo uses condoms. <laughs> that made me really happy. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. God, that's funny. Or, you know, Kenzie does. So, you know, they could just be all over the place because it's not like the clubhouse is very neat. 
But it, I think it was in Bo's like nightstand drawer. It's likely that they're Bo's condoms. <laughs> okay, okay. And and Kenzie was setting up for Bo's return. That's true. So. That's true. Well, if she's gonna have condoms, then it is Bo. So you gotta have dental dams as well. Well, and you can you can turn a condom into a dental dam. So there you go. So thank you for muddling through our our giggling and kind of craziness this episode. We would love to hear your thoughts about Sleeping Beauty School. You can send us those thoughts through a variety of ways. You can send us an email to feedback at drinksatthedoll.com, or you can leave a comment on the show notes over at drinksatthedoll.com. This is episode... Shit. Maybe it's shit. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's 27. <laughs> Aren't we 27? Episode 27 over at drinksatthedoll.com. And you can also call and leave a message on our listener voicemail line at 972-514-7223. I'm so glad you could join us for Drinks at the Doll. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Annie. And I'm very sorry. And also Chris. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. Cheers. Cheers.